Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. But once we understand the origin and history and and motive uh, of our struggle, uh, that should bring us to the point uh, that we can uh, return to God um, and repent for how our sin has replaced and misrepresented Him. And this is the part where I think unless we understand repentance in a more robust way, um, it it's where God can begin to come across a little spiteful. And that whole idea of Him being for us, uh, we, we can lose sight of that. Uh, but as much as repentance removes an offense, it also restores relationship. And in the midst of our depression and anxiety, we have begun to doubt God, to hide from God, uh, to begin to move away from Him. And repentance is part of turning back towards Him and coming back to our source of hope and strength. And I want us to hear it that way. And I think that's part of what Ed Welch lets us hear. He says, change is rarely a matter of knowledge. Meaning we're not going to think our way, just purely think our way with better theological facts out of depression and anxiety. It's a matter of repentance. We have chosen a path apart from God. Repentance is the process of turning back. We have chosen a different story filled with subtle lies about God, questioning His love, care, and compassion. Repentance means that we renounce our story and believe that there is only one storyteller. God alone is authorized to interpret our lives. And so the first question I would ask you is not do you know how to repent, But who are you repenting to? Often we don't repent to God because we don't have a good view of God. We think of of God as being mean or angry. It's one of the reasons why I love uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And you come to enough of these, you know I'm a talking animal nut. Um, uh, But there's several great scenes where where C.S. Lewis brings this together. In the full notebook, I use one uh, from... Uh, Jill and Eustace in uh, the silver chair. Uh, but there's also the one in The Magician's Nephew uh, where Diggory is standing before Aslan who represents Christ. Uh, and uh, Diggory through various ways has kind of uh, brought sin into Narnia and he's, he's got to go get uh, an apple that will plant the tree and anyway, all of that kind of stuff. But he's standing before Aslan. He's scared to death. And, and the backdrop of the story is that Diggory's mother is very ill with cancer and and he wants to ask Aslan to make his mother well and as he's standing before the lion he says all I could see was his great paws because I was looking down and as he spoke I look up into his eyes and lo and behold I see great tears more valuable than all the treasures of the world combined and I realized that if possible, he was really more sad about the condition of my mother 
than I ever could be. And it was in that moment of seeing the compassion that drew out this response of allegiance, of affection, of bond towards Aslan, towards Christ, that made many of the challenges and temptations that he would face on the rest of this journey much easier to resist. And I think that's the picture we need to have. And if we ask, why, what are some of the views of God that we would have that would cause us not want to do that? One is, I think we tend to see God as unemotional. It's almost as if God is Spock from Star Trek. He just, he's emotionally flatlined. But God is not Spock. God cares, and He cares about you. Or maybe we see God as unapproachable. You know, God is the epitome of the parent returning emails, getting them back as fast as they can. Kids come up, what do you need now? Tell me, hurry up, what is it? And, and, and we can kind of talk to him, he, he kind of gets it, but we, he's busy. Um, or sometimes we just view God as mean. And we, we miss the fact, if you, if you take the, the book of Romans, which is one of the great books in Scripture on the treatment of sin and forgiveness and all of that, and, and you ask Paul in the book of Romans, why do we repent? In chapter 2, he tells us, it's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance. It's the fact that He is for us, that He wants what is best, that anything that we've done to deviate from that it is not for our best. And as a loving parent, He wants to call us back for that. It's that realization that calls us to repentance. And so, if we think of ourselves and our anxiety and our fear uh, like a scared, wounded animal, think of God like we would be towards that uh, small puppy that we can tell is hurt and frightened. And the first thing we do is we hold out our hand uh, to show it that we're safe and that we can come. And it's not just that, but we look at that hand and we see the price that was paid uh, to make sure that that invitation is entirely safe. Uh, that is the picture uh, that we come to. And that's why Ed Welch would say, the knowledge of God comes first. Apart from this personal knowledge, scriptural advice is no different from the thought stoppage or imaginary vacations um, that secular treatments offer. You know, when we ask, what is it that scripture offers that is that much better? It's not necessarily the truth content. I'm all for the truth content of Scripture. It is the relationship. Consider faith this way. It means that we give up. Faith says, I need Jesus. It's not a work. It's an act of desperation. You're certainly familiar with that. You know, in the midst of our depression and anxiety, uh, it's, we just want to quit. We want to we give up. Faith is really just giving up in the right direction. Faith is when we give up in the direction of the One who can and will care for us. And so I give you here uh, some key elements of repentance. Um, now, I don't want you to feel like you've got to go through all of these steps every time. But uh, I think there are times when repentance can be a little bit like our smartphones. Um, it can do a lot more than we know how to do. 
Uh, we just we kind of get it and we go through the quick little tutorial with the person of Verizon or whatever, and then we get home and people tell us, oh, your phone will do this. And we go, really? Uh, my phone can bake a turkey? I didn't know it. Um, it um, but I want us to walk through repentance, looking at some of the facets of it, so that we can see how it impacts uh, our experience of depression and anxiety. It, repentance begins with a desire uh, for God and to submit to His Lordship. Repentance does not begin with remorse. If we were saying that repentance began with remorse, we would say the answer to feeling bad is to feel bad. That doesn't make any sense. Um, repentance begins with the, um, with the understanding what I'm doing is not working. I need to let someone else captain this ship because I keep driving it into the ground. Um, repentance also involves an understanding of how sin sought to replace God. That all of those things that we talked about in history and origin and motive, those things that began to center our life on something that perpetually overpromised and underdelivered and less, left us less than satisfied. Repentance is about restoring that relationship with the one who can satisfy. Repentance is about brokenness over the nature of our sin. That, uh, that I have a fallen, broken nature. Uh, I don't just sin, particular point in time action. I am a sinner. You know, sometimes in the midst of depression and anxiety, we begin to think, is something wrong with me? And once the answer is yes, we are broken. The fallen human condition is an abnormal condition for people to live in. This is not as life was intended to be. Uh, the gospel is the beginning of that redemption and restoration process that ultimately culminates in heaven. But it is about God restoring us out of an abnormal condition. Repentance is expressed to God. Again, there is that sin instinct to hide from God that we've seen since the first sin in Adam and Eve where they wanted to run away and cover themselves up with fig leaves. Our instinct when we are trapped uh, and we know we have rooted our life in something that's not going to satisfy and we've replaced God is to hide. Repentance is when we quit hiding from God and come to Him. Uh, repentance reverses that hiding instinct. Repentance is faith in God's willingness to forgive. There's no risk in repentance. We don't come in repentance wondering what God's response is going to be this time. In that sense, repentance is the safest thing that we can do. Ask it this way. How do I, one of the primary ways that I can measure the health of the relationship that I have with my boys is how safe do they feel acknowledging when they've messed up? Is that something that they feel like they have to hide from me because, oh no, Papa's going to be upset? Or is that something where they feel like they can come to me of, I've messed up, I don't know what to do. Who would I rather come to but Papa? 
that is one of the primary indicators of the health in the relationship that I have. And as children, it's one of the primary marks of maturity in their world. That's why repentance is such a healthy part of the Christian life. Not because we're always kind of self-lathorating and you know just kind of awful, no good, kind of worm theology, I'm lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut kind of uh, kind of stuff. But because it shows the vitality and faith and trust in that relationship. And then um, um, repentance also results in a new direction of life usually first expressed by confession. That's where step four is the impetus for every step uh, that's coming after. Uh, And as Ed Welch would say, one of the most important things Jesus will ever say to you is, I am with you. That is the treatment for fear. And the only thing that could jeopardize His presence is your sin and shame. If He's dealt with that problem, you never have to fear He will leave you. And so it's the faith in the fact that He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The only thing that could create a barrier in our relationship is sin. And I've taken care of that. I screamed, it is finished. I rose from the dead to show you that I was victorious. You don't have to live in shame because you struggle with sin. I kind of knew that. I mean, think about it for a moment. Who designed progressive sanctification? The fact that over the course of our life, we are going to continually, incrementally become more like Jesus. Who designed that? Was that our idea? And God kind of said, on go, okay, if you want to do it that way, I'll play along. Was it our idea? No. It, it was something for reasons that we don't always understand, and I think if we're honest with one another, we don't always like. He said there is something about this developmental relationship that we will have over the course of your life, like a parent who gets to see a child grow up in every aspect of their maturation that they play a part in that develops a bond that is good. And I want to have that kind of relationship with you. And so if God has said, the only thing that could come between us, I've taken care of it. Don't ever fear that repentance is going to be that kind of punitive, awkward, sit in the time out, put your nose in the corner, think bad thoughts and come out when you can do better kind of experience. And so, I give you a prayer. Uh, Not that I think it's some kind of magic prayer or anything like that, but just gives you a way of taking the materials that we've covered in these first four steps, um, you know, all the way through, bringing them to God in a prayer of repentance and relationship uh, so that it can culminate this kind of step.